This is Second Shift. So Mike usually tapes an intro. We usually do the stuff together. I think this is the first time I've actually done a without Mike. So it's Mike. My, my training wheels are off, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, so this segment of the Second Shift, uh, we are here again at uh, Fast 18, which has just been kind of through the first half, has just been uh, amazing. And it's been a great experience getting to meet some people that I've known through the internet world, who listen to the podcast, who uh, have their own podcasts, and so that's been great. The conference um, really uh, started, though, with an amazing, uh, an amazing speaker, and we're lucky enough to have him uh, join the Second Shift podcast. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and introduce him. He's a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, uh, which uh, is the highest honor that can be achieved uh, in the military. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, this is Senior Chief Special Warfare Operator Edward C. Byers, who is also a Navy SEAL. Th- thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So you're you're um, you had some themes. You talked a lot about being, you know, special forces, um, and kind of you had some overarching themes on on how to be successful. And I think a couple of them that really jumped out to me. Uh, the first one was about humbleness. And, uh, and you know, talk to me a little bit about some of the things we talked about there and, and kind of your approach to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first of all, you know, thank you for having me uh, on this. Yeah, what I spoke to earlier uh, today is revolves around a concept that I came up with called strength through humility and humility based in the sense of I I believe it's one of our the greatest virtues that can be bestowed upon people especially in this day and age where you know social media and Hollywood and, and what have you and so but the humility in the sense from our community of knowing that our trainings never complete right that and because our training's never complete and there's always someone out there trying to be better than you and, and in our world, uh, better you in the sense that if we were to ever go to war with them trying to kill us sure. or that our enemies that we currently face, then that means we need to never rest on our laurels mm-hmm. and always be seeking to be the best in the world of what we do. And so when you bring yourself to that humble mind state, and you get down to the nitty-gritty of you need to go find the best training out there to continuously improve on who you are as a, you know, a core, then you gain tremendous strength from that. So that's my the overarching uh, aspect of what I was trying to speak to uh-huh. today. Well, I think what, what I found about that was that, I mean, you are um, – you're a, you're pro, you're the best that, of the best. You are uh, a career military person who's given so much to our country, and thank you very much. Uh, I I really appreciate that, and we all hopefully you hurt, felt the love from the from the community today after your lecture. Um, but you're you're so you're, you know, a Navy SEAL. We consider to be the elite of the elite. 
but that's not good enough for you. That, that, that the worst thing that you can do is say, well, I'm done now that I need to keep, uh, keep getting better and, uh, at what I can do. And I, that to me, that message really resonated. Well, I think it's based on in any profession, when you become a professional in your field, you realize that your, your true learning has really just begun. Right. right? So that once you, uh, go over that hilltop and, and you think you've reached the top, now you're, you're, st- you're still looking out in the valley and go, I still have a long way to go. Right. And that's right. I mean, you can't, it's like if you were to only do, you know, you know, BLS training once every two years, you're, you're probably not going to be very good at that, you know, and, and I know BLS obviously is very basic, but in that same sense, it's, it's why we're, uh, all of our trainings on a very, in a cyclical manner, if, and it never stops and it's always repeating and right. guys, and there's, it's a testament to why the, there's, there's so many incredible Americans out there that are standing the line currently that are overseas fighting the good fight that they do this stuff day in and day out. Right. The other thing that really jumped out at me, well, there was so much in your talk that jumped out, so it's hard to pick them out. But the idea that when, um, when the special forces go in, you're not going alone. And that there, that the majority of people who are part of your team are not special forces. Uh, so talk about that and how important the support is and how important including those folks as your teammates. Well, I, I want to just, you know, clarify a, a little bit on that. What I was, what I was talking to was, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll cycle back to uh, the story in which we, we talk about Nick Check and his sacrifice to this nation. But it, was, it was talking about the essence of uh, teamwork and and being on a team and what all that entails. And that was tied into what is uh, commonly known out there in the soft community, special operations community, as a soft truce. And one of the, the last of the soft truce is that the, the majority of soft operations are enabled by non-soft personnel. And well, that doesn't typically mean going out on a operation of doing something of those people out on the ground are not that, but the people behind the scenes, the, the logistical support network that is created to, to keep those functioning is done by a majority of people who are not in the special operations community. Exactly. Exactly. The, the intricate web that is woven in and out of, you know, conventional civilian uh, special operation forces is truly unique. And it's, that's what takes a great team is bringing in the best minds for each aspect of that operation, whether it's running a hospital or, or doing, you know, combat operations overseas. Yeah. I, what I thought about is just on that critical call, you know, we have our paramedic there but to get to that point there was a dispatcher involved right 
There was the person that trained that dispatcher involved. There was the guy who put the fiber optics in That's that made right. the disp- that makes the dispatcher work. There was the person, the instructor who taught that paramedic how to be a paramedic. Um, and so it's, it's a team sport and we can't do this alone and we have to account for all of that sort of logistical and support structure when we try to build these uh, systems. Yes, it, it takes a village to build a champion. That's right. You know, 100%. And, and you brought up the, the Special Forces Truths, and uh, so I took a picture of that slide, and I'm just going to read through them real quick. Uh, humans are more important than hardware. Quality is better than quantity, which I, that is in the healthcare, gosh, that's that means so much, right? Right. Um, special operations forces cannot be mass produced. And I think in, in the world of EMS, I can't make a million high quality paramedics. I think that's, that really resonated well also. Yeah, that's, that's, it's right. I mean, we don't even have the longest training pipeline in Naval Special Warfare. I would say, you know, Green Beret Special Forces do, Uh you know, and there's, is a two plus year process. It just, right. In the military, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. you know, to invest into yeah. a person to get a desired, you know, outcome. So, yeah. Uh, two, two more competent special operations forces can't be created after emergencies occur. Um, yeah, we can't just in try, we can't just in time the world's most elite fighting force, can we? No. And I, I, what, what that really is tackling is going, giving that notion and if that is a truth, then we need to be ahead of the power curve. We need to be what we call left of bang. Uh-huh. Left of bang. Left of bang. Yeah, left, of, left of left of incident. Heard that. Yep. That's that's a right. We use that in, in engineering also when we talk about motor vehicle crashes. Right. Left of bang and things like yeah. And then the one we talked about, most special operations require a non non SOF assistance. Um, so I have two, I think a couple more things I want to hit and then we'll get you going. One is just um, a little bit like how did you get – you talked about this today. How did you get to where where you were? I know you had some medic training. Yeah, how did you get there? Right. So I, I've been in military almost 20 years. Uh, I can't really pinpoint exactly why I wanted to come in the military. Uh, my father was in the tail end of War II, but it, like many of that generation, doesn't did not talk. He's passed away now, but – didn't talk about anything, and it wasn't a big influence in our family. And he was in the military, fought in World War II? He was in the Na- Navy, in the very end of it. Okay. Uh, however, I just had this affinity for it growing up, and there was certain movies and, and books that came out at that time uh, that influenced my decision and got me excited as a as a, a young adolescent and I came in after you know based on that and once that set in I had no other vision or desire in my mind about what I wanted to do in life mm-hmm. but the, the twisting of fates you know it's interesting how the butterfly effects work and I, I didn't get a chance to speak of this today because that's a, a different part of a the series that I, I do is there really was uh, some other major tragedies that happened 
along my life that absolutely impacted and direction and directed me in the manner that if that was wouldn't have happened, I never would have went to the next step, which means I never would have went to the next step. And then I wouldn't be sitting here today, even right. across from you. And uh, both, which is a goal to be sitting across from me. I, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> I, I enjoyed your uh, talk very much uh, earlier today. So, um, the inhalation of uh, opioids is a, is a problem that a lot of our uh, military uh, uh, have issues with overseas when they went into uh, houses, and especially in, in southern Afghanistan with uh, the heroin issue. So, but back to, you know, how that happened, I, I just was blessed by, you know, I, I talked about what like, the four, like, guiding principles right. that I had, you know, First and foremost, you know, I, to God, you know, I, I'm not ultra religious, but I, I definitely hold that in a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of St. Michael the Archangel. Right. And, you know, as him being the patron saint for police and, and military firefighters and um, uh, paramedics. So that swayed me in immediately into going down the medical road when I first came in the military because mm-hmm. it was structured different. I wasn't able to come into the SEALs right out of boot camp. Right. So I spent my first um, part of my career, first three years of my career as a, as a fleet Marine force medic with second Marine division down in Camp Lejeune. Wow. And that's where I learned the basics of, of military medicine, seeing, seeing sick call and, Got so sick of writing soap notes, I can't tell you. <laughs> um, and, and and go figure, my handwriting's horrible, just like every other uh, medic out there. And doctor. And doctor. Yeah. And doctor. Exactly. Um, well, what it showed me a lot during that time was the compassion and empathy aspect of my life, which I'm glad happened because once once you go into the special operations side. Now you're geared more towards, you know, the strength and fortitude, resiliency, and, you know, we train for war and we fight to win. Right. And so, but the the uniqueness of the special operations medic, and I've met a few other gentlemen here today who have experienced that exact same thing, was, yeah, that, uh, you know, one day you could literally have to be making the decision whether or not someone is going to live or or die. And that's why that is such is the greatest responsibility in life that we have. Uh And the next day you're saving. And as I I saw, I was speaking to uh, uh, a cop earlier today and he was saying, I, we, they went into a house and they, going after a bad guy with a warrant and they ended up shooting the guy and then he ended up saving that guy's life. <laughs> so, and that was in the extremist of senses, you know, like, of, of doing both, you know, he's took part in injuring the guy and then took part in saving his life so he could go prosecuted. So, uh, so that I had that aspect in my, in my life with, with the, the medicine side. And as you, uh, got to hear t- earlier today was, but that wasn't my primary role. It was all secondary uh-huh. in sense. 
but it seemed like anytime I went anywhere or I wasn't anticipating using my medical skills is when I used them the uh-huh. most. And I've just always been fortunate that I've had the opportunity to, uh, to be able to provide that level of help and, 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 and times when they, it was, you know, desperately needed. So, well, and that was part of you described when you talked about the austere environments and, yeah. and how you had been deployed to a certain location, which you couldn't tell us, but that it was an austere environment and, the mission you got deployed on wasn't medical, but you very quickly had to set up a medical, and that was a big part of what you did. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's and we and we did that for quite a long period of time and saw dozens and dozens of, of patients because there's just no one else around. Um, and then you would, as part of your presentation, and you mentioned it before, you talked about the incident, which ended up culminating in. Uh, receiving, receiving the Medal of Honor, and I know you had some diagrams and things, but if you can, if, if you're willing to, uh, if you want to talk us through that, uh, I think our listeners would be pretty impressed. I know I was. Yeah, I, I absolutely, Ken. And, and any time uh, being a, re- a recipient of, of, of the medal, you, know, you just become a a holder of it. You be holding to the medal. The medal is greater than any one person and, mm-hmm. and it and it belongs to so many other people than just yourself right. and in in my particular case it, it belongs to an absolute true hero uh chief petty officer nick check who was uh, mortally wounded on that operation going to save an american doctor in afghanistan in 2012 and if you know i'll just start out by saying it you know anyone is can can Google that by just Googling my name and or going to, you know, Navy.mil, typing in my name in the search engine, and then they can see uh, for themselves the the diagrams that you had were able to see today and to read more about the actual actions on the objective, which I'll talk about here in a minute. So on 8th of December 2012, we were... Uh, tasked with going to rescue a doctor named Dr. Dill Joseph, uh, who was there doing humanitarian work, mm-hmm. trying to help out, you know, the, the poorest of the poor. Afghanistan's a very poor country. And he was a double cross. So when we got tasked, we uh, inserted with our team, we had a, a, a multi hour arduous uh, hike is in the middle of the winter uh, there very cold very dark and we were coming up and on our objective and the person who was directly in front of me was nick check as a point man and as we approached the building and the gentleman a guy one of the guards came out and was waking up to go to the bathroom it was right about call a prayer time to call prayer and Nick immediately uh, sprang into action, uh, shot at that guy, and we started sprinting towards the door. Mm-hmm. At that point, the gig is up. So surprise is lost at that point, right? Surprise is lost at that point, and our we our main objective is is to rescue that American. That's what our job is there. That's the inherent sacrifices we take to do that. As uh, we entered into 
the doorway. It was a, a complex system of blankets that we had to, to go through. And Nick went into what I was perceived was his area of responsibility, and I went into mine. And as I went in, there was a uh, Taliban with an AK-47 almost leveled right at me. And fortunately enough, I had a split second of enough surprise on him that I was able to kill him. And then I immediately saw another person scurrying across the floor towards some more weapons. And we didn't didn't know whether or not that was another hostage or mm-hmm. the hostage or uh, a bad guy trying to get one of the Taliban trying to get to some more weapons. So I was able to sprint down the the room get on top of him, pinned him down uh, with my knees. And at the same time, we were calling out for the doctor Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that we were in the room. Mm -hmm. And nobody uh, answered up. So I was able to adjust my night vision. It wasn't getting a good facial recognition on who the person was underneath me. And then all of a sudden I hear a voice come from across the room about six feet away, mm-hmm. you know, six or seven feet away. And I uh, shot the person I was on top of and I jumped onto the doctor. It just happened to be when I did that, that there was another uh, armed Taliban that was in the corner and I was able to restrain him to the wall by his throat until the rest of the team was able to make it in there and uh, take care of that threat. So that whole process took took about less than a minute. You know, it wow. happened all very fast. It was very violent. You know, five Taliban were killed. We, wow. we rescued the American doctor, which is mission success to us. But then we lost a a truly great American, you know, Nick check. So, but we didn't know that at the time. So once I saw that the, the PJs, the air force PJs were working on, working on Nick, I went over to help them. And then we did mm-hmm. resuscitative efforts on Nick of the black and in the back of the helicopter for the next, uh, 40 minutes mm-hmm. where then he was, uh, you know, pronounced dead by the appropriate level of, uh, you know, doctor. So it's always, uh, you know, they say a, a person truly dies twice, once when they physically die and then once when you last speak their name. Mm-hmm. And so in the military, that's why we, we toast every single year on, on those that are close to us mm-hmm. and tell stories about their life and do celebration of lives and, it's always good to know that Nick will always go down in the, in the annals of history as a true American hero, and he'll never be forgotten because the story will always be mm-hmm. told for many, many generations to come, hopefully. Well, thank you. I mean, it's been totally and completely my honor to to be able to meet you and speak with you today and listen to your story now twice. Uh, it It... We were reading up about you last night as or as we were having our little drinks, and we just an incredible story. Um, and uh, you know, you were um, and just moving the teamwork 
the brotherhood, um, the, uh, it, it's all very moving. And, and again, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for your service to, to our country and, um, and, and to the people. I really do appreciate that, and I also want to, th- to thank all those out there that, that serve and, and sacrifice and, and give all they have to give to this uh, great nation. Uh, as I ended this be- speech earlier today, you know, I, I want to also say on this podcast that you know, I, I do believe you know, paramedics, you, you're, they're the front line, flight paramedics are the front line of... Hmm of a critical care in this nation and, and truly are the unsung heroes of the American heartland. You know, they carry a great responsibility and, and burden for mm-hmm. that. They're the, they're the first people that have, you know, patient contact. So the, the diplomacy or the, the way they conduct themselves around that and those extremely uh, emotional and, and tragic times all the way to getting that patient in the hospital is, is I don't know how many people actually understand the responsibility that comes with that moment in time of care. Yeah. And it's, it's make or break. Like a person's life is make or break on the the level that of responsibility they bear on their shoulders. So, you know, I just want to say to all those that are paramedics out there, you know, keep doing what you're doing and I have immense respect for you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I know you're going to hang out for some of the rest of the day of the yes. conference, and then depending on weather, you'll be out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, we'll see you in the weather. Yeah, yeah. Nor'easter's coming in. Yeah, but uh, again, thank you. And uh, we're going to get hopefully get some more interviews here in the second shift. Um, really great. Uh, and or I'm sorry, fast here at Fast 18 on the second shift podcast. I don't do that part as, as well as Mike does, although I do have my own radio voice. I don't often employ it. Uh, not like Mike, but uh, <laughs> we'll be back at you. We'll have some more interviews from the, from the meeting and probably an overview at one point of the meeting. So thanks again, and thank you, um, Chief. Thank you. Second Shift is a production of Flight Bridge Ed, LLC at flightbridgeed.com. <laughs>